From somewhere in Northeast Indiana, Mike Davidson lives. And now your host of the podcast, Mike Davidson. You know, I turn 44 next month. And just when I think I've become a little more skeptical about things, or a little more cynical on things, eh, something happens and uh, I, I find myself going, no, I'm, I'm not cynical enough. Hell yes, Mr. Rob Roof. Thank you very much. It's me. It's Mike. This is Mike Davidson Lives Podcast. I do twice a week, every week. Glad you can download this and hang out with me here yeah, for the next half hour or so. As always, greatly appreciated. I'll have to get through here in just a few moments. Uh, yeah, I, I had something coming up today that I was looking forward to. And then it happened, and then I was like, what the hell was that? It was basically... I thought I was going to have a, a goodwill hunting moment, and it turned out to be a timeshare commercial. Uh, <laughs> I, I can't really go into a rant about it right now, but it's it's uh, just kind of keeping with the season here. Uh, you know, in a Christmas story where uh, Ralphie gets that, he's going to the, the mailbox, and he's breathlessly waiting for that uh, little, Annie or, uh, little orphan handy uh, uh, decoder. You know, and he finally gets it, and he's getting the code on the radio, and he goes to the bathroom, writes it down, and it's, be sure to drink your Ovaltine, and he finds out that basically what he bought was a crummy commercial. He actually bought a commercial. That's kind of where I'm at right now, um, and I and I want to go more into this, but no, I'm going to wait a bit. Um, uh, it's just it, it's just one of those things where, again, you build something up in your mind, and it's uh, everybody's got something to sell you. All right, so... With all that cynicism passed, uh, cynicism passed, I Christmas shopping almost done. I, I have it written here that I have it all done. I can't say that it's all done. Uh, there's still a little bit more for me to do. I can't say much else. Who knows who might be listening, but I, I, I got to tell you, uh, six, four, and two-year-old in this house, three of them, two girls, one boy. And there are some parents that stress out about... Um, what to buy their kids for Christmas. Oh, it has to be the perfect gift. It has to be the perfect gift. And I know damn well, uh, in my limited experience as a parent, I mean, I've only been at really for six years now, that kids uh, are, are like me. They have short attention spans, and they forget about a whole hell of a lot. So I don't dwell on that. Uh, what I dwell on is if the, if the toy in question is left out, and my bare size 15 feet step on it, how much pain is it going to co uh, cause me? And the answer is buy things that are plush or buy things that come in one piece. Uh, don't buy anything that uh, it requires assembly. The fewer headaches you have on Christmas morning, from there on out, the better. Uh, so when I had that in my mind shopping earlier this week, I felt a lot better. And of course, you know, I, I've got the week off. So I go when they ain't, where they ain't. I'm not going to the store when everybody else is uh, is there, i.e. the weekend. Um, but interesting to note, uh, when I'm out there shopping, uh, I was out there with all the uh, the old grandmothers doing their Christmas shopping. You know, all the silver foxes out Target. Ow! Uh, we're one silver fox short now. I don't know if that's the best way to describe him, uh, but R.I.P. Uh, the legendary uh, Norman Lear, big-time showrunner from the 70s and 80s, 
passed away, gone from us way too young at the age of 101. That's a pretty damn good run right there. Uh, creator of things like uh, All in the Family, The Jeffersons, Good Times, Mod, uh, Political. Yeah, uh, there's probably a lot of his politics that I wouldn't see eye to eye with. But here's where I applaud the man. Uh, he's He was political, but he was politically incorrect. Uh, and there would probably be some people on his side of the aisle that would object to the likes of uh, Archie Bunker or uh, George Jefferson existing. How can these guys be so mean? How, uh, because it's comedy and you need a foil. And you also need your foils to be somewhat human because if you're just doing things, uh, if you're just making stereotypes for the sake of making stereotypes, it's not going to work. You, there has to be a reason why you keep coming back to those characters and he understood that perfectly. Uh, so, while there's probably a lot of woke Hollywood types out there that uh, look up to Norman Lear because, oh yeah, he's a liberal, I'm a liberal, uh, they wouldn't dare uh, do the shit this guy was doing back in the day. And, he, and he, he and his writers did write some great classic comedy, to their credit. And it, it changed the, the landscape of television. Um, so, yeah. But the other thing, too, is like with Archie Bunker and with George Jefferson and all these shows, he basically made his own sandbox. And when you make your own sandbox, you can come up with the rules as you please. Um, and, uh, if, if you screw up, well, you screw up, but, uh, you know, you, you can't screw up a character oftentimes that you create. And so nowadays you have Hollywood writers and showrunners taking over, you know, programs and beloved co uh, characters and IPs and the like, and they screw them up because they don't understand them. And, uh, by the way, I've got a pretty good rant about this from somebody else, uh, here just a few moments. Um... But basically, you know, they're like, well, so-and-so was always like this. Sorry, we're going to make so-and-so like this. And it alienates a lot of fans. You know, Norman Lear's like, okay, I'm going to make a character, Archie Bunker. And I'm going to make, uh, you know, his wife, his daughter, uh, Meathead. And I, this is this is just how the show's going to work. And that's how it worked. He didn't, he didn't take over the honeymooners and say, okay, these guys and uh, these gals are going to be like this. He made his own damn thing. And it worked uh, immensely well for him, and uh, kudos to him. And again, a legend, uh, uh, Norman Lear, gone at the age of 101. Erwin uh, Winkler is not a name you would hear often. Or you, you might go, well, wait, I've heard that name. Who is that? He's a 91-year-old producer that has uh, teamed up on countless projects with uh, the legendary Martin Scorsese. Uh, they were doing an interview, um, and I just, I don't want to go into everything about this, but he was talking about how they had a disaster screening one time for a movie they had just made, a movie that Martin Scorsese made, uh, and basically just kind of a test screen, right, test, I'm dropping my phone here, uh, a test screen for this new movie he made, and within 15 minutes, like 30 plus people walked out, and he said, we just, we recruited the wrong people for this movie. The movie I'm talking about is the 1990 hit Goodfellas. And I would argue probably Martin Scorsese's best movie. It's a definite top five. It's a top three movie with me. It's, it's such a freaking awesome movie. And I'm, I'm banging my head here going, how do you walk out of that movie? 
Um, I, I don't know who they recruited, how that process works, but uh, when, when I first saw that movie, I was probably like 13 or so, uh, and I couldn't stop watching the damn thing. Like, like you just it, there. If I was to waste tax dollars and uh, tuition money, and I was given a, a film class to teach, and every week we screened a movie, that would be one movie I would show. In that, uh, just because uh, it, it was, it's an excellent, it's an excellent example of pacing. You're telling like 30 years of mafia life in a two-and-a-half-hour movie, and it just never stops moving. And I, I can't for the life of me figure out who are these people that are walking out of such a great freaking movie. How can be so wrong? Um, and, yeah, you're wrong if you hate Goodfellas. You're wrong if you hate Tom Petty, uh, the late, great Tom Petty, by the way. Uh, not much of a game or Grand Theft Auto. Uh, I guess the sequel drops next year, 2025, something like that. They, It was a big hyped thing uh, this past week when they dropped the teaser for that. But the teaser for for the uh, uh, the uh, video game features Tom Petty's Love is a Long Road, which comes off Full Moon Fever, 1989. Uh, not a big song like, you know, I Won't Back Down or Free Fallin' or Running Down a Dream. And then you've got some other songs on there like Facing the Crowd, which got some uh, play on Q95 back in the day when I was growing up in Indy uh, or You're So Bad. But I always loved that song, Love is a Long Road. And I guess since then, uh, it's been streamed a buttload of times. People are like, what is this? How have I not heard this? Um, and, and when I first heard that off the album, I'm like, well, damn, how how is this song never a freaking uh, big-time radio hit? I mean, it already had big-time radio hits on that album. But now people are just streaming it going, Jesus, this is great. And that's very cool because, um, for one, it... it basically builds off something I was talking about last podcast with Brenda Lee rocking around the Christmas tree. Uh, you know, people are starved for good things, and a lot of times they will go and uh, it, it hit that nostalgia thing. That's why Brenda Lee's number one Christmas song in the country right now. That's why things like Stranger Things had uh, Kate Bush and Metallica songs uh, climb up the charts like they did... Uh, like a year or two back. And so now you got Tom Petty riding that wave. And that's pretty cool to see. And he's uh, still a musician I miss dearly uh, because I saw him live, grew up with him. Just not like with him, but like his music. It's just, it's awesome to see like these new generation of uh, gamers and whatnot going, yeah, this is good. All right. So. Uh, talked a little bit about the college playoff system, and I think this is the last year for the four four team uh, method. They go twelve teams next year, and uh, and it, it, we we go from bitching about the t- um, the six teams, uh, the the two of the teams that miss out on being one of the four teams, to basically next year we'll bi- uh, bitch about the four teams that could have been the one of the twelve, right? That's how it usually happens. But Georgia was number one, and now they're on the outside looking in. Florida State finishes the year undefeated, wins the ACC. They're on the outside looking in. Both teams play the Orange Bowl this year. And uh, the head coaches for each program canceled their presser for the um, the Orange Bowl this week, which uh, got a lot of people going, well, Jesus, does this mean that the Orange Bowl is canceled? And so, like, uh, you know, X-File, Conspiracy, Oliver Stone type of thinking going, 
well, maybe Florida State and Georgia are just uh, conspiring against, uh, you know, the guys that uh, put together the, the playoffs. Maybe they'll uh, actually go to the game, shake hands, walk off the field. Yeah, I'm seeing all these weird-ass, um, uh, you know, conspiracy theories. And I'm thinking to myself, look, if they didn't want to go to this damn thing, why accept the bowl invitation, first of all? And there's no way in hell they could do do this without getting fined or suspended or any of this stuff. Like, they would lose a lot of money because the people put together the Orange Bowl uh, would lose a lot of money. That's how that usually works. Uh, you know, so I, I'm watching all this in real time and just think, saying to myself, no, that's that's not how any of this works at all. And 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 I'll make it I'll make it clear if if either one of these guys or any one of these programs did what was being suggested here, um, they would uh, just prove that they didn't belong in the playoffs to begin with. It's not very classy. That's what I'm getting at. All right, so. That rant that I was talking about from earlier with uh, alluding to um, Norman Lee, not, not a television rant, but a comic book rant. Um, I'm a big funny book nerd type of guy. Well, was. Kind of still am. I collect trade paperbacks of older st stuff, but uh, uh, I got out of collecting monthly comic books back in 2008. Um, it really does bite into your disposable income. Uh, but uh, back in 2008, that happened. Um, I loved it, and uh, back then, back then, if you, if your book, if your comic book sold 200,000 copies a month, you were considered, uh, you know, top of the game. Now it's uh, dwindled quite a bit, like 100,000, 100,000 copies a month. It, it just, there's a lot of factors going into it. A lot of it would be identity politics. A lot of it would just be price increases. Uh, but one uh, store owner, and I'm going to link this up on the Mike Davidson podcast page, the Mike Davidson Lives podcast page. Uh, he's a Glenn O'Leary out of Massachusetts. He runs a place called the Comic Book Palace. And he had a video go viral that uh, over a million people saw. And he's, you know, keep in mind, when you're a store owner, you buy direct from these, uh, from not necessarily publishers, but uh, the people that uh, sell the stuff for the publishers. So uh, he's buying all those comic books that you see on the shelves and hoping to make a profit. And he goes on this rant uh, that I don't think is necessarily wrong, but he's talking about how like a lot of these comic book writers don't respect what came before them, and they're putting themselves in the characters. They're writing themselves as the characters. We, and his point is, we don't want to see you... As Tony Stark, we want to see Tony Stark as Tony Stark, you know, Spider-Man. He's he's going on and on and on about this stuff. He gets a lot of views. And I think uh, he has found some kindred spirits out there, some frustrated fans, recovering fans. Uh, but what was really jarring about this was some of the uh, the content creators of the, uh, the industry for Marvel and DC, some of these artists and writers, uh... Attack this dude. Attack this dude. Uh, one uh, one guy who uh, pff, I've never bought any of this stuff uh, was uh, was basically talking about how you know he hates the product and everything, and he goes, "Hey, here's an idea: sell it like you love it." So basically, he's telling this dude, this uh, comic book shop owner, "Oh yes, I love everything that I sell." 
that's not how art works. That's not how pop culture works. Um, if if you've ever gone into a comic book shop, hell, if you've gone into any hobby shop, any 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 store whatsoever, you know, even before the internet, people have things that they love and they hate, and the owners will agree or disagree with them, right? Because it's their shop and they're having conversations. You don't just say, "Oh yes, I love everything." That's terrible. But it, it shows a degree of cynicism from these creators, like they are owed the product to be sold. They are owed the uh, these fans to buy this crap, right? Uh, and I and, and I'll uh, even back that up further. When I was out Christmas shopping, uh, I went to a Barnes and Noble here in Fort Wayne, uh, Southwest. No, no, it's, it's a west, yeah, west side of town, uh, Barnes and Noble. Across from Jefferson Point, they moved from the big mega store to a smaller, more mall-like store across the street. And I walk in, manga, Japanese comic books, take up about six sections of shelves. Six sections. American comic books. Marvel and DC, the big two, plus Dark Horse, plus Image Comics, takes up a third of that. They're all just crammed there. And it's newer stuff, mostly. It's none of the classic stuff. It's just... Ugh. That is what this guy in Massachusetts is selling in his entire store. So I think he's owed the right to rant about it. Plus, you know, the whole First Amendment thing. That's got to be a bitch, right? Uh, hats, uh, hats off, though, to uh, Mark Miller of, uh, of uh, Miller World. He's also done some Marvel, Marvel and DC work in his day. He's got some individual stories out there. Uh, he interviewed this dude after that, and he defended this dude because he goes, hey, man, this guy's put his blood, sweat, and tears selling this industry for us for 30 years in his store. He's get, We should hear him out. And that's a really refreshing thing is, like, actually not listening to the online praise from these hype uh, hype websites, but, uh, you know, go into the store and figure out what they're, uh, they're selling. And uh, I'll try to follow up with this next... Um, uh, next podcast because I it did bring up something else in mind here as I'm talking, but uh, I think I've dwelled a little too much on this. We, uh, I, I wanted to touch base on some bigger things too. Uh, you know, I'm not a big fan of congressional hearings, right? Um, but uh, this past week, in the wave of the of uh, anti-Semitism being on the rise in the United States after uh, October seventh, some university heads have uh, come before Congress talking to Congress, and the bubble they live in is very telling. I think the president of Harvard was talking about how uh, they don't uh, uh, condone anti-Semitism behavior, uh, but it's not but they're not going to oppress free speech. But when it came to a fact that a lot of the stuff that's being said on her, her campus, this president of Harvard... Uh, it goes far beyond just protesting Israel and does, in fact, uh, seem kind of genocidal. She's apologized and backtracked in a video the next day. Um, I think I just saw that Penn, University of Pennsylvania, has lost over $100 million from donations because of their inaction to stop some of this anti-Semitism. Uh, I'm not a big show trial guy, but I, I think it's... This clearly shows that they live in a different world than we do. Uh, and again, it's not necessarily, okay, I'm protesting 
um, the treatment of Palestinians as so much as it is, I am uh, against Jews and I want to see them die. Uh, that that stuff is coming to light, and people are like, "Wait a minute, that's kind of wrong. That's kind of, you know, Hitler-like." And uh, yeah, I think this will, this should theoretically stun some people back to reality, especially when they get hit in the pocketbook and universities are addicted to money because they're universities. Taylor Swift, congratulations to her. She was uh, chosen as Time Magazine's Distraction of the Year. Uh, you know, selling albums left and right, songs left and right, tour, 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 making much, lots of money, billionaire now, big concert film, dating a football player, can't get away from her. She's Time's Person of the Year. And it's very interesting to see her fans cheer this on. I don't be I don't begrudge her success because when you're successful and you you have that fan base and you can make that revenue, go get it. I do find it weird though that one that one song she put out a couple years ago talking about if she was a man, how things would be so much better for her. And I'm like, if you were a man, you wouldn't be Time magazine's person of the year. Um but her fans live vicariously through her almost to the point of cult obsession and they see her as superwoman they see her as superwoman and any criticism of her is sexist is misogynist uh any criticism of them is sexist it's misogynist uh and it, you know they they've bought into that fantasy it's not just okay she's my favorite artist it's she's my goddess and I will live and die for her. And it, it it really does have that vibe. And and so to also see the media announce this, NBC announcing this from Time Magazine, how it went all to the NBC affiliates, and it jumped to other networks, other networks, other magazines, other publications, they kept talking about Taylor Swift. And they are like, well, she had a big year. And she did. But does her big year affect your year? You know, we're living in a, a time where, again, Israel, Hamas are at it. Anti-Semitism is on the rise in the United States. You have uh, uh, the ongoing conflict with Russia and Ukraine. You have inflation. We talked about the Home Alone grocery trip last podcast. You have the rise of AI, uh, which does concern people. Uh, you know, we just got out of the Hollywood strike and how that's going to affect American pop culture. And, uh, if they learned anything from it, chances are they haven't, um, you have all these things going on and yet the media can't stop talking about how great Taylor Swift is. And if you don't comply, you're probably, you're part of the problem. You're part of the past. You're, you're a troglodyte, uh, who hates women or something. Yeah, it's, it's amazing to watch all this unfold. It's their magazine. But when people like Elon Musk win it, they're like, well, it's because he's so provocative. He's so provocative. When she does it, it's because she deserves it. You know, when somebody that they like wins it or gets it, is awarded it, uh, it it's a good thing. But they don't want to talk about how Hitler won it once or Stalin twice. Yeah, the, the rules of the game change when the person that they want to win wins. And by the way, like, kind of going with this uh, 
whole thing with her and Travis Kelsey and her being at like every other Kansas City Chiefs game. Uh, you know, she's in the skybox with uh, Patrick Mahomes' wife and all the, all the uh, chief entourage and all these people that want to be seen and everything. And they dress like they're going to be seen. Uh, somebody asked her in an interview um, if this, you know, if she's bothered by the overexposure. And her response was like, well, she can't control who sees her in the skybox. Um and she goes, and she was basically says, I'm not really bothered by the angry dads, Brads, and Chads. So, you know, she's kind of taking a dig at anybody that's taking a dig at her being at all these games, dressed to the nines, being shown on camera. She knows she's being seen. She's a brand. She's the product. Once you start seeing uh, somebody like that as the brand and the product in, in the limelight, yeah, you, again, you kind of get a little more cynical about these things. It's not like you're going to bump into uh, Taylor Swift at the local grocery store. Okay, uh, the new vegans dropped. Dinks. Uh, have you heard about these people? Uh, dual income, no kids. Saw this viral video hit uh, earlier this week. I guess this guy and gal are talking about, hey, we can do anything we want because we have no kids. We have no kids. Hey, we can go out anytime we want after work because we have no kids. Hey, I can go to the golf course and I can you know, go to the football game because I have no kids. We can buy all the snacks we want. We can do this. We can do this because we have no kids. We have jobs. Blah, blah, blah. It's like, it's, that's going to be really cute 20, 30 years from now when you're in an apartment surrounded by 17 cats. Um, I don't know. Like, I don't begrudge anybody who chooses not to have kids and just say, hey, it's not for me. But when you're bragging, bragging on video, to other people about how you don't have kids and people with kids see this it's almost like you're dunking on them for actually making the sacrifice to keep civilization going and yeah when I when I see that on online and I've got three kids of my own I'm just thinking wow you guys are a bunch of selfish pricks uh, <laughs> what purpose uh, you know they, they talk a lot about here in society about how, like, you should make the sacrifices to save the environment and uh, you reduce your footprint and everything. Uh, is that what they're really doing with these dink videos, though? I'm not saying that these people are environmentalists, but it does seem a little self-serving that they can go out and do whatever they want and brag about it. And they're just going to become old and withered and bitter, just like uh, uh, Chelsea Handler. California is attacking uh, toy store departments. Um, first of the year, new law goes into effect that uh, stores with 500 employees or more. No, not 500. Well, basically, uh, stores with a, a buttload of employees have to have gender-neutral children's sections. This is a thing. Or, or else they will be fined $250 the first time, $500 each subsequent time somebody goes in and wags their finger at the store manager. Uh thinking their thinking is boys and girls aren't different and how dare you think a girl likes Barbie and boys like Power Wheels or Hot Wheels. Power Wheels are a little too expensive for dad. Um yeah they don't understand fundamentally how different boys and girls are. And I'm not just talking about the biology, but I'm just talking about how they perceive things. Um a couple of years ago we got our daughters um Barbie Camper, 
you know, and now it's, uh, it looks, uh, it looks like it's been left out on cinder blocks. But now that that's been kind of discarded by my, my two daughters, my son's gotten a hold of it. But is he playing with dolls? No, he's turning it up on its side and he's spinning the wheels of it. He doesn't care if this thing's pink. He's fascinated by the wheels. He's not fascinated about playing house. He's fascinated about how this damn thing works. Or supposed to work because again it looks like it's up on cinder blocks um yeah so you have the state regulating how a store basically panders to children i guess or uh segregates children when in fact the store is basically arranging its shelves to meet the needs of consumers you know there are boys that play with dolls there are girls that play with cars but there's no one keeping them out of those aisles okay if they want to play with what they want to play with, that's fine. But you're going after the stores for a really asinine reason. Very asinine reason. Um, so, whatever, California. Uh, I think I'll wrap it up with this, because uh, I did get a little long-winded on the comic book shop, dude. But, you know, hey, it's, uh, it, it is a segment of pop culture, or dwindling pop culture, because comic books aren't as popular as they once were. But... Uh, radio is not popular like it once was. Tim Hill, I talked about him a couple years back when I first launched this podcast. He was the uh, sports uh, uh, talk show host out of South Carolina who lost his job with Cumulus uh, because he refused to get the COVID vaccine. And he was working out all sorts of deals like, hey, look, I, if you don't want me to come in the office, fine, I can work from home. Uh, I can wear masks when I'm out and about. But, like, look, for religious reasons... I don't want the shot. I don't want the shot in the booster. They said no, and they fired him. Now he has filed a lawsuit against Cumulus. And I say, you go, boy. I'm not saying this because of any uh, COVID uh, conspiracy, any vaccine conspiracy. I'm saying it as somebody who believes in individual rights. Um, I did get the vaccine, and I did get the booster a couple years ago. I also probably had COVID again after that. So, hey, you live, you learn. Um, but he didn't want to get that. And he shouldn't be forced to get that. If somebody wants to get the vaccine, fine. If somebody doesn't, that's also fine. Because COVID had a uh, survivability rate of like 99.5%. It was only those who were infirmed and uh, uh, basically struggling with chronic illness that were at risk. Somebody who may have had cancer, maybe, you know, HIV, morbidly obese, diabetes, those people should have taken extra precautions. The fact that we locked down society for this germ that was basically flu part two is asinine to me. Tim Hill lost his job. There were a lot of people who lost their jobs in radio because of this. Not me. I lost because of other things. But there were people that lost their jobs in radio because they didn't want to do this there were people that lost their jobs elsewhere and i think yeah more lawsuits need to be filed because we were just panicking back then and bad things happen when we panic maybe the next time we have a pandemic or a terrorist attack or anything we kind of slow down and say okay what's the best course of action instead of okay we have to react and react now you know that's that's one of the many reasons Maybe that's a rant I do next podcast. Or maybe not, because I could get in trouble. But Tim, uh, you go ahead and sue the shit out of Cumulus. 
I hope you win. And until next time, uh, stay fresh, Jesus. You've been listening to Mike Davidson Live. Be sure to check him out on social media. Like him at facebook.com backslash mdavidsonlives. Follow him on Twitter. Look for at Davidson Live.